It's Matt Slick Live. Matt is the founder and president of the Christian Apologetics Research Ministry, found online at karm.org. When you have questions about Bible doctrines, turn to Matt Slick Live for answers. Taking your calls and responding to your questions at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everybody, welcome to the show. It's me, Matt Slick. You're listening to Matt Slick Live. Today's date is, uh, let's see, November 16th, 2023. And if you want to give me a call, all you got to do is dial 877-207-2276. We have nobody waiting right now, and that's okay. And uh, if you are interested in emailing me, you can do that by going to info at karm.org, info at karm.org. And uh, if you have a comment or a question for the radio, just the subject, put com- uh, radio comment or radio question, and we can get to them, and, uh, which I probably will end up doing here in a little bit because I've got so much to do. And uh, all right. Uh, okay, that's good. Let's go. I oh, mean, that's good. Um, I'm sorry, I got distracted by it. yet. <laughs> I got so much going on. But hey, look, if you want to give me a call, 877-207-2276. Tonight I do a Bible study, and hopefully we'll be finishing up Romans chapter 14. And then the next, uh, the next uh, two chapters of Romans are going to go quicker. And hopefully we'll finish before the, uh, the end of the year. And then we'll just decide if and when we're going to continue or whatever. Uh, and we'll see. We'll see. But if you want to join us tonight, uh, you can go to, I think it's, uh, well, it's, it would be, what is it, Ernie? It's um, karm.org, no, rumble.com forward slash uh, Matt Slick Bible Study. That's right, one word. And you can watch tonight. It's at, we start officially at 9.30 Eastern time. That's late because uh, we have people here in Idaho when they get here. And we start at 7.30 local time because it's a local study. And then people have to put it on the web. So we did. All right. Uh, okay. All right. All right. I got to see there. Looking here. Looking there. All right. Everything looks good. Okay. I want to get to some, uh, get to some mail. Radio questions. Uh, let's see. I can't find yay or nay in the Bible. Well, I think we know over this before. Is, they, uh, is there a choir in heaven? It depends on what you mean by choir. Uh, we already went over that, but no, not a choir with robes and stuff, but it, are there angels designated for the purpose of prayer? And the answer there is yes, that is the case. All right, so let's see. Thank you, Matt. Personally, I don't see anything wrong with the situation. What's the situation? Uh, it is a subjective. The elders of the church need to be involved, and they have to be sure it's not a... What is the question? Let's see. We're doing well. So once we're listeners of the show, and uh, once view on various topics, uh, thoughts and situation. Our preacher, wonderful, wonderful man, widower, lives alone. Oh, that's right. We already talked about that one too. Why is these not? Uh, let's see. I think I'm going to get rid of that one because the big one. I researched and can't find the answer. That's the, oh, I see why. Because some of them are just duplicates. Aha! That's why that happens. Uh, let's see. Jesus is just a messenger of the Word of God, not God. Now, here, you know, you, if you listen to me do hate mail sometimes on Fridays tomorrow and uh, other things, wacko mail and stuff like that, you'll know 
that um, sometimes I'll pick apart the syntax of, of, uh, of an email. And the reason I do is not to make fun of people, sometimes just to have fun, but a lot of times I, I just realize that when people, they don't write complete normal s sentences. And then they proclaim that they know something better than I do or somebody else or someone's right or wrong and they can't communicate properly. Now, it doesn't mean they're not intelligent, but it does, uh, it does make me wonder uh, if they can, uh, if they, you know, where they're coming from. And it's just it's one of them. See, Jesus is just a messenger of the Word of God, not God. Well, here's the question. You know, if he's a messenger of the Word of God, well, then that implies the Word of God is alive and he's the messenger of that Word. But if he says he's the messenger of God, not God, that would make more sense of what the person is trying to convey. But uh, the person obviously doesn't understand what the Bible really says. And he says, a son of God, not God the Father. When people tell me that, you know, Jesus is a son of God. And I said, so does the term son of God mean he's not God? And they say, that's correct. And I said, then what does the term son of man mean? You know, what's it mean? If the term son of God means he's not God, does the term son of man mean he's not man? And and I just ask them. And uh, I remember once I asked that to somebody, and they actually stopped and fumbled over their words and then said, you're just playing games. And they didn't know what to say. And I go, Boy, if, if it was that easy to trick you and get you to stumble, then your theology and your logic aren't very good. Um so, but, you know, when people say he's the Son of God, not God the Father, one of the things I like to ask them is, do you know what the, the term Son of God means in the context? Because what people are so frequently doing is what's called ethnocentricity. They're judging another culture by their own. They're judging another concept by their own standard of righteousness and truth. And I say, what does the term Son of God mean? And then they can't find it in scripture they just assert that the term son of god means are not god but if you go to john five eighteen, it says that jesus uh, was calling god his own father making himself equal to god this is what the jews and the disciples understood the term to mean and i show that to them and they still reject it anyway he, go, he goes this email he shows us that when he shows okay he shows us that when he shows us how to pray he shows us that when he be a comma in there uh, pray this our Father heart in heaven. But you see, saying, see that people aren't thinking critically. And this is because of the uh, the school system uh, here in America basically is horrible. They don't teach much of, of thought and logic anymore. And the reason is, I believe, is that the leftist uh, agenda is to teach people how not to be critical thinkers so they'll believe what the left says. That's what I think. They dumb them down so they can't think, so they react. And then you have license plates that say things like uh, Free Palestine and, uh, you know, for the murderers and the Muslims who, um, you know, are, are warriors and killed the uh, people and stuff like that. Oh, man, you know, just so much heresy, so little time. I wish people would think more critically. I find that to be a huge problem very frequently when I do impromptu debates, discussions on the net. I'm constantly saying to people, you are not thinking logically. And I'll explain why they're not thinking logically. And they still can't get it. And I'll even cite the logical errors sometimes that they're committing and explain what it is. And they still do it anyway. It's just, you know, 
Yeah, you know, I say so much heresy, so little time. So much illogic, so little time. Let's get to Chris from Charlotte, North Carolina. Chris, welcome. You're on the air. Hi there. Um, Matt, I just wanted to hear more. I think you were talking yesterday about how to refute other worldviews with the mm-hmm. presupposition. Um, yeah, presuppositionalism. Just to hear more and, yeah, and particularly, um, can you explain in detail, maybe a little bit more, um, how logic has to be based in the person of God? Okay. That's two questions. I'll say the second one because yeah. I can do that, but it's, that's a, I'll have to go slowly, maybe after the break, on how logic, how God, the Trinitarian being, is a necessary precondition for intelligibility. That's what you're asking, and I'll get to that. Yeah. So, um, but what was your first question? Now I already forgot. Well, just more about how you, you mentioned you could refute any, um, you, know, mm-hmm. you know, with the with certain yeah. presuppositions. And I caught a right. little bit of it. Sure. So it doesn't matter who you're talking to, Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, Roman Catholic, atheist, evolutionist, it doesn't matter, occultist. They're going to have a worldview. Now, a worldview mm-hmm. is a set of parameter beliefs or belief parameters that they will have. They might believe that gravity is true. They might believe that uh, intuition is correct. They might believe that everybody has the same understanding of everything. It could be all kinds of different things that people have. And because people are different, you need to explore what their worldview is. And then in the worldview, and what I often do is type it out as they're talking. I'm talking to somebody. So if I'm talking to an agnostic, for example, and uh, they say they don't know if God exists or doesn't exist, and I'll say, okay, so what do you affirm? Because if they say they don't know what to affirm, I say, okay, well, what do you affirm? Well, I affirm mm-hmm. that, and then whatever it is. Let's say I affirm evolution is true. Or what if they say I, I affirm that rationality is the ultimate source of knowledge? It could be whatever. Mm-hmm. So let's say they, they say with evolution, right? And I'll say, well, have you read any anti-evolution books to get both sides of the argument and 99% of the time no there is no evidence against evolution I say Mm -hmm. well there you go because there is a lot of evidence against evolution and if you're going to put all your eggs in the evolutionary basket and you haven't even studied the other side to see what scientists are saying on the other side well then you're misinformed aren't you what I'm doing is finding Mm -hmm. the, the assumption and I'm gently undermining it you see? Mm-hmm. Or what if someone okay. says rationality is the ultimate means by which we learn something? And I'm going to just ask them, okay, uh, can you explain to me what rationality is? And they might say, well, it's just a process of proper reasoning. I said, okay, I can go with that. And why do you say proper reasoning is the right way to gain knowledge? It might be, it might not be. I'm just asking. Well, mm-hmm. It's because reason is something we have to assume to be true in order to find things out. And I'll say, so is that a faith statement or is it a reason statement? Because if it's a reason statement, you're presupposing the validity of reason to support reason. And in logic, we call that circular reasoning. Now, this means false because it's circular, because everybody has circularity. 
And so I'll say, okay, so you're just assuming the validity of rationality, but you don't know if others are thinking rationally like you, and you're assuming a universal principle, aren't you? Ooh, mm. now we're getting interesting here, you know? All right, so you're assuming a universal principle. And now, are you an evolutionist? Yes. Do you believe in God? No. Okay, how do you have a universal true principle in your worldview? What I'm doing mm. is, as I've just discovered, they believe in a universal truth. But how do you have mm. universal truth in an atheist worldview, for example? How do you have that? Mm -hmm. Because truth is an abstraction. See, 2 plus 2 equals 4 is true. But you can't hold 2 and plus and 4 and equal. You can't hold them in your hand. You can't take picture of it. You can write symbols mm -hmm. that represent those concepts. But the concepts are abstractions, so the person is affirming universal abstractions. They're truth values. Okay, well, how do you, how does that work in your worldview? These are not the kind of mm -hmm. questions Christians think of. They're not taught to ask questions like this. I'd love to teach a course on this. And mm -hmm. atheists and unbelievers are also not taught to, to think like this. So I've actually been thinking the past few days, or I think yesterday someone asked about it, I was thinking about it last night, about writing a book on this or a booklet, um, what must be the case? And, and that that's what I'm thinking as a, as a working title. And it's what must mm -hmm. be the case in order for whatever it is. Well, there's the music coming on, so we're going to take a break. But what must be the case for rationality to be universal, for axioms to have existence, for evolution to be true? What must be the case? What's the underlying things? And that's what you go for. That's where you make them bleed. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's what you do. So hold on, we got a break, okay? Hey folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. Let's get back on with Chris. Are you still there? Yeah. All right, so you get yeah, the basic here. idea? I think so. Yeah, I think I'd have okay. to practice it with different yeah. different things that they come up with, right? But, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, that's very interesting. I I'm very much looking forward to your book. I hope you do do it. Yeah, I'm going to have to write a booklet on it. Yeah, I'm going to have to write a booklet on it. Just and do it in my, a conversational style so people can follow it and then do outlines, uh, you know, techniques and, and stuff like that. But it does take a lot of practice. Mm -hmm. And so mm -hmm. I practice regularly. I go into Oculus, you know, the virtual world. I'm on Clubhouse. Uh, I'm on, um, let's see, on Facebook, uh on Discord, different places where I interact with people, and, and so I get a lot of practice. But um, that's wow. what I've learned, right. is that presuppositional apologetics is by far, in a way, the easiest and most powerful. It is. Hmm. Okay. That's my opinion. Can I ask you one quick question about that, about your... Sure. Um, mm -hmm. I know you didn't get to the other question yet, but about the Oculus. You know, there are so many kids I hear now and people mm -hmm. that just live sort of in a virtual world, and that's all they they do. It's yep. like their whole existence. Mm -hmm. And I'm just wondering how you, how would you talk to someone? How do you talk to people like that, that, you know, where that is their, it's almost like what, they're, they're divorced from the physical world in a way, and they just think everything is well, mental or something? I mean, there are different degrees of that kind of addiction and problem. 
You know, mm-hmm. most people get them for entertainment and things like that. My wife got me these a couple of years ago because I'm always working and she, you know, and someone, a friend came over for Christmas and had one and had a fishing thing. I like to fish. And so I was just sitting there <laughs> fishing in the virtual world. So my wife got me the fishing ones. And within one day I was witnessing, I found places to go talk about Jesus. She, she just rubbed her forehead, you know, like sheesh. That's awesome. Yeah. And so that's what I do. And uh, I go in different places and I uh, just try and witness. And um, that's it, you know, and there's a lot, it's a different kind of a world. Uh, people feel emboldened and it can be quite rude and there's not many controls. And um, one of the big problems, believe it or not, is kids. Well, pe- adults will be in a place having a discussion and kids will come in and just act like little brats and they get kicked out. And uh, so that's just one of the things we're going to mm-hmm. deal with. But but I, I want to get the newer one because uh, the one I have is big and heavy and uh it's just heavy, you know, and not as good. And since I spent a lot of time on it, so we'll see. But it costs a lot. But uh, it's a, a place to evangelize, and I go. And, in fact, my voice carries over really well in there. And I've been in rooms not saying anything, and then I'll just speak. And because my voice is different, mm-hmm. boy, I'll tell you, talk about everybody stopping and turning around. You know, they basically they can turn around. You have your hand controls. And uh, they go, are you on a distortion thing? No. <laughs> so I use that I as a witnessing tool as well. Yeah, you never know. That's you know. Great. <laughs> yeah. But I love being in that world. I love okay. it. It's fun. Okay. Okay. So you don't think that, do you think people have a problem with it sometimes? Like oh, yes. That, you know, that they're, yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there are people who go in there. Uh, there's bad stuff that happens in those kind of worlds. There's also something called um, Second Life. And uh, you know, I, I used to go in there quite a bit and witness in places as well. My, my whole thing is I just go everywhere to witness. That's what I do. And it's a mm-hmm. not, it's not an Oculus thing, but it's a 2D thing on your computer. And so um, there are people who are addicted to these kind of things because that's just their life. And that's unfortunate, but it is the case. And then there's people like me who go in there to witness. You know, and, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Okay. All right. Okay. All right. So then that last question was, um, can you explain a little bit more about how, you know, God God as a person has to be the basis for the mm-hmm. um, logic? Eligibility. You see, logic is an abstraction. So I love my wife. Mm-hmm. Love is an abstraction. An abstract entity is something you can't capture, hold in your hand, measure, take a picture of, freeze, etc. Yet it has existence, like a thought does. And um, so my intention is an abstraction. My love for my wife is an abstraction. My appreciation for so-and-so is an abstraction. All right. The laws of logic, however, they're, see, they're abstractions as well, but they're universal. And that's the, the kicker. Because whether someone believes they're true or not has no bearing on whether or not they are true. We judge rationality based on the basics of the laws of logic, law of identity, law of non-contradiction, law of excluded middle, uh, law of proper inference. Mm. And there's far more complicated logical laws, which are beyond me. And so these things are abstractions or abstract entities. What must be the case in order for universal abstract entities to exist? That's the question. Well, since my appreciation, it resides in my mind, and my love resides in my mind, in my soul, you know, mind, soul. Well, 
then where does logic reside? Well, I partake in it, but it's not a product of my mind, because if logic was a product of my mind, then when I die, logic ceases. And if I'm discussing mm-hmm. something with a friend who disagrees with me on a logical issue, one of us is right and the other one is wrong, or both of us are wrong. Because both can't be mm-hmm. right if we contradict, but both could be wrong through ignorance or just bad thinking, or one is right and one is wrong. And the way we would decide that is to go deeper into the issues of logic and the laws of logic and inference and things like this. Well, in order for this to occur, that person has to be in touch with the same laws of logic I do, that I am. Mm-hmm. Well, where do those laws of logic reside? In me? No. In that person? No. Are they under rocks? No. But they're abstractions, mm-hmm. and they're universal. Therefore, mm-hmm. it makes sense to say that God is the one who is behind them, that he is the universal mind, and the laws of logic are products of his mind. Being made in his image, we can perceive them. And so when a Christian mm-hmm. pro- proposes that, we can g- at least give an account. But the atheists can't. And they try in different ways. Mm-hmm. Well, just extractions that we make out of the observations. Well, then that means you presuppose something in order to make an abstraction and observe an object. And so you're begging the question. And you're, you're breaking the laws of logic for justification. And so you go on through these kind of discussions. So there's that realm, which I haven't gotten into deeply and then there's the realm of of the one and the many and the issue of the one and the many deals with is the universe one thing or many things is a chair and a tree Mm -hmm. of the same substance with just a different manifestation or are they different substances and so because they're different substances they have different manifestations one's a chair one's a tree we get into what's called ontology here won't get into all that and so the question philosophers have been dealing with for 2500 years is what is the ultimate nature of the universe? All that stuff out there that mm-hmm. exists, stardust, energy, what, what is all of it? Is it one th- ultimate mm-hmm. thing and we are different, we see different manifestations of that one ultimate or are they ultimately different substances? All right. Mm-hmm. If there's just one substance and we see differentiations between them, then how can you have differentiations between ontological objects since distinctions are required for truth statements? If everything is ultimately Mm -hmm. one thing, then you're having a problem justifying truth statements because truth is based on distinctions. But if everything is separate, then you don't have unity between them. You have trouble with truth statements. But God is both one and many. And so they're equally ultimate, mm-hmm. not in contradiction to each other. That's how Christianity works. Mm-hmm. That's a super short version, okay? Okay. There's a break. we got to <laughs> go. All right. We'll talk to you later. God Thank bless. You. All right. Okay, God bye. bless, everybody. Okay. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. All right, everyone, welcome back to the show. If you want to give me a call, it's 877-207-2276. Let's get to Matt from Connecticut. Welcome. You're on the air. Hi, Matt. How are you today? Good. How are you doing, Matt? I'm doing good so far. (laughs) All right, good. So what do you got, buddy? I guess my question is, like, I I was looking at one of your uh, articles on karm.org and you were saying, I, I strongly believe that God's grace and mercy are so extensive that within the Christian community there is a wide range of beliefs, and as long as 
the essentials are not violated, that anyone holds to those essentials but differs in not, the non-essentials is my brother or sister in Christ. And I agree right. with that quote. I, I feel the same way. You know, I, I tend to be charitable towards people that disagree on the, the non-essential issues. Mm-hmm. But when, when it comes to the issue of Calvinism, it seems that some Calvinists are not as charitable as others, you know, as you are. You know, you, you, you still consider mm-hmm. people that disagree on predestination election as brothers and sisters in Christ yeah. that are just, they're, you know, they're either misunderstanding or maybe mm-hmm. they're ignorant to some of the Bible's teachings uh, on that That's issue. Mm-hmm. But I guess my question is, how come some people seem to make it like, some people appeal to Galatians 1 that the people that are more Arminian in their thinking, they make it seem like the Arminians are preaching another gospel. Like, they go as far to accuse them of preaching a false gospel because they mm-hmm. get Calvinism wrong. Mm-hmm. Why, why do you think some Calvinists go, go there? Because sometimes they are preaching a false gospel. Sometimes. Yep. But what often happens is uh, new Calvinists, it's, we call it the cage stage, and they are just going after everybody about everything. And... Yep. Um, what I've realized over the years is God casts his net further than we do. And I have a saying about Calvinists, and I'm a Calvinist, you know. We Calvinists have God in a doctrinal box and don't want to let him out. And so, you know, we fall in our strength as well as our weaknesses. Now, the Bible teaches election predestination. I mean, it just does. Well, okay, you should believe that. Why? Because the Bible teaches it. All right. Well, if people don't believe it, I'm not going to attack them because I don't know what their background is. I don't know where they're at. I don't know what's going on with them. I don't know if they've been beat up by Calvinists intellectually and now they have a knee-jerk reaction. I don't know. And I'm not there to judge them on that because, as Romans 14 says, you know, the the Lord who bought them, I'm not to stumble them. And I'll be teaching on this again tonight on the Bible study. Well, some Calvinists, what they'll do is they will say that the gospel, or excuse me, the five points, is the gospel. And I always stand against that. Always. Me too. Yeah, I do. And because, you know, the gospel is a death, burial, resurrection of Jesus Christ. And, you know, total depravity, unconditional election, limited atonement, irresistible grace, perseverance of the saints. These are not the gospel. But I understand what they mean by them when they say that. And I've tackled Calvinists for that. I said, no, you can't say that. Go to the scriptures, see what the Bible says it is. You don't want to change the word of God. I have to get on them as well. So, sometimes, however, Arminians will teach a false gospel. It doesn't mean they're, they're not saved, though. And there's, the reason I say that is because they can teach a false gospel. It's up to me and my wisdom, my judgment, that I decided that I needed Jesus. Now, that's pretty arrogant and foolish. But I wouldn't say such a person is not saved because they are ending up trusting in Christ. And what I'll do in that situation is try and work with them. I say, well, do you know that the Bible says that God granted that you believe? It never says that. Yes, it does, right here. And I show them the exact verse where it says it. And I very patiently just try and work with them. Because people can have different levels of understanding and knee-jerk reactions. And so I just want to be patient with them and find out. And I try and, and uh, tell other Calvinists to do the same thing. You have to beat them up. That's not going to help. You know? 
Let them see the love of God in us. We don't want to just beat them over with a rake, you know, the five-pointed rake, you know, slam, slam, slam. No, no. Because Jesus says that you know, the world will know that you're my disciples by the love you have for one another. So love on them. And I say to people, I didn't become Christian when I finally adopted the five points. And the last one for me was limited atonement, which I adopted about 1991 or 92. I can't remember exactly. I think it was whatever. Well, I thought I'd suddenly become a Cal. Uh, now I'm saved when I affirm that? Well, of course not. I was a believer before then. Regenerate before then. So that's why I tell Calvinists. And yes, we certainly mess up, don't we? That's for sure. You there? You know, I, I agree with okay. everything you, you said. Um, okay. I, I'm actually, I, I think one time I heard you say, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, but, but I think I heard you say that at least at one time you attended a church that wasn't, you know, um, a Reformed church, that it, it, they didn't teach Calvinism. Is that, is that accurate? Yeah, I prefer to go to churches that don't teach Calvinism. That's an odd thing for a Calvinist well, to say, but there's a reason. I, I actually, yeah, I, I actually currently attend a church that doesn't, believe in mm-hmm. they believe in perseverance of the saints but they don't believe in the other four points mm-hmm. yeah so I, I guess my question is when when does it become they're preaching a false gospel like how when, when is it at that point of error that it would be considered they're not teaching a true gospel whenever they add works to salvation okay. they add works you keep so, yourself saved by being good and you have to be baptized to be saved or you can't go to see an r-rated movie or lose your salvation now we have a problem okay now we have a problem so so there are some armenians that that actually go in that direction yes there are wow i didn't didn't realize you just remember this it's a true statement we fall in our strengths as well as our weaknesses so the strength of calvinism is really good doctrine and then the weakness of it is well, we've got it down right. You need to believe like us because we're right. Uh, and then the other side, you know, the strength of the Armenians is is just the equality of of their desire for everyone to be saved, which should be the same for Calvinists, but they're not consistent. But anyway, and and that and that's fine, you know. And they they just are more open and loving in that way, generally speaking. But then they get so weak, mamby-pamby theology in it. God just loves everybody equally. It's just up to you. Well, no, it's not just up right. to you, because the Bible says it's not. So, you know, we fall in our strengths as well as our weaknesses. And, you know, I've gone to far more Arminian churches than I have Calvinist churches, because Calvinist churches, to me, they, they're just too uppity in their litur- liturgy. Stand up, sing a that. hymn, and I don't like hymns. I don't want to sing a bunch of hymns. That's just me. So that's why I go to a place where they have worship bands. I grew up in Southern California, you know, and all the, the contemporary stuff. And that's what I prefer. That's the reason I don't go to Reformed yeah. churches as much. That's all. Yeah, I, I, I love Reformed you know, theology. Yeah, right. me too. And, and you know, it's, it's tough because, uh, you know, I live in Connecticut. And, I, you know, I've, I've looked around for, like, another church over the years. And I just can't find one that really feels like mm-hmm. the right one. You know, when I listen to the preaching, mm-hmm. and it's just, I can't find, that's why I mm-hmm. ultimately just stayed where I am, because I just can't yep. find one that I, I don't want to just do it to do it. I, if I'm going to leave, I want to go to a place I feel good about, you know, mm-hmm. but it's hard to find, yep. <laughs> sometimes it's hard to find the right church. 
Well, I'm hoping to find one that has contemporary worship, no hill song. People get excited. They can say amen during the sermon. They can uh, get up and they can clap their hands if they want. And the, the pastor gets excited about the Word of God and preaches uh, extemporaneously, you know, right from the scriptures. And, uh, you know, he gets excited. Okay? And, and that's what I like. Well, a lot of people don't like that. A lot of people just they can't worship that way. Well, yeah. the reform camp seems to be a little bit drier, in my opinion, and the Armenian is a little bit li- uh, livelier. And I, I have to go where yeah. I can survive. So we have our weaknesses, I, I our strengths. I, oh, oh, I'm so, I didn't mean to cut you off. I'm sorry. No, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, I just always appreciate. I just always appreciate like your the way you see things. Because I've watched debates with you with people that disagree with you on Calvinism and. I always appreciated how you were always, you know, charitable about it. Like, you know, you would, you would get intense in the debate, but at the same time, you would have respect, and you would still yeah. consider, unless they taught something that was really out there, you would you would consider them a, a fellow Christian. Right, so, right. You know. Well, you know, I, I tell people, my wife and I, in a, in next week, we'll, we will have been married 36 years. So I, I think it was, I don't know, maybe it was 12 or 15 years ago, uh, you know, halfway through our marriage, I, I approached her, I said, are you a Calvinist? And she goes, well, of course I am. And I said, you are? She goes, yeah, I've been one for years. I said, oh, okay. I mean, I didn't even know because it, that's right. not the issue in the house. It's Jesus. Right. That's all. Yep. And I went, oh, okay. And if she just said no, I just said, oh, well, if you want to talk about it, you know, let me know. If you don't, that's okay. Because I know she loves the Lord Jesus, and that's what's critical. Okay? I agree so with There's you. a break, man. All right, brother. Well, God bless. Good talking to you, Matt. Take care, <laughs> okay. and God bless. You too, man. God bless. Hey, folks, we'll be right back after these messages. Please stay tuned. It's Matt Slick Live, taking your calls at 877-207-2276. Here's Matt Slick. Everybody, welcome back to the show. Let's get to Curtis from Richmond, Virginia. Welcome. You're on the air. Hello. Hi. Hey. So we got? Uh, I got a problem with, I've been going back, being read back because I keep falling. I keep slipping. I keep messing up, no matter how hard I try. But this time, I'm not doing anything wrong. I'm trying my best to quit everything. And But I got one problem. I can't quit cussing. And it makes it hurts. It makes me cry. It's, it's just driving me nuts. And I feel like God you? has turned his back on me because I've been no, baptized not. three or four different times at three or four different churches. No, don't, don't waste your time do doing anything that. to harm me. Yeah, it's it's you're putting your faith in the wrong thing. You're putting it in baptism. Don't don't put it in baptism. There's one faith, one Lord, one baptism. Ephesians four five. If you've trusted in Christ, you get baptized as a public covenant sign. That's it. You're done. You don't get go, go get rebaptized if you think it's going to make things better. Now you can be baptized like people go on a tour. They go to to uh, the Jordan River. They want to get baptized again. And I get that. That's fine. But what you're doing is you're saying um, you're saying, well, I'm I'm bad, so I got to get rebaptized to make it right. That's not what makes you right with God. You got to stop that. Right. What makes you right well, with God I, is your. I read uh, 
Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh, oh, you go ahead. I, hear I keep reading this verse, and I think it's Hebrews 13, 4 or 4, 13. And it says that for those who have fallen away and try to come back to their loss, it's nailing Jesus to the cross again. And that's what I feel like I've been doing every time I get rebaptized. Have I been doing that? Even yeah, you don't okay. Let me just tell you, don't go get rebaptized again. You don't need that. And what you quoted was out of Hebrews six. Yeah, don't do it again. Okay, you don't need yeah, to. Right. Baptism isn't the thing that cleanses you of your sin. And I know a lot of people think that is the case, but it's not. Your faith in Jesus is what it is. Oh, look, let me let me give you an illustration of something. Okay, let's just say that you and I are out in out in the ocean, and we've been fishing and just talking. We've been out there for a few hours, right? We're having a good time. And we right. start heading back in the shore. It's a couple of miles out, you know. We start heading back in the shore. And we come across a couple of guys in the water, and they're dressed in street clothes, and there's nothing around them. We're like, what the heck? And we take a life preserver and, and a rope, and we tie it there, and we throw it out to them as far as we can. And it's just a couple, three feet from them. And we're yelling, grab the life preserver, grab it, grab it. And one of them's, you know, trying and he's not doing real well but he's trying and the other guy is just floating face down in the water he's not moving now I got a question for you which one is alive which one of those two men is alive the one that's trying to get the ring <laughs> I mean yeah. the life together right because he's struggling in his life dead people don't struggle against their sin you are struggling against your sin you're alive in Christ mm -hmm. You don't have to go through a ceremony to be made right with God. You get baptized because you've trusted in Christ. It's a covenant sign. It represents what Christ has done on the cross, your identification with him. You are justified by faith, not by faith and repeated baptisms. False religions teach that kind of thing. You just need to trust in Christ. Now, it may not be that easy because you're feeling guilty. And good. Good you're feeling guilty. You should. No, it's really it doesn't mean that you're not. It doesn't. It doesn't mean you're not saved. It just means that the Lord's working in you, and there are people. Now, let me give another illustration. There's a man who, his whole life, he dies at 80 years old. He gets saved at 20, and so he's been a Christian for 60 years, and basically he's had victory over most every sin in his life. I mean, no one's perfect. You know, little things come up every now and then. He deals with them. But there's this one sin he's been struggling with he can never seem to have victory over. He has victory for a while, and it pops its ugly head up again. And he struggles with it yearly for 60 years, never having complete oh, victory man. over it. Now, then he dies. Well, he goes to heaven because his place in heaven is not based on how good he is. It's based on what Christ did on the cross. And furthermore, is his repeated struggle against sin glorifying God? Yes, it is, because he's judging it as sin, working against it. And so he is repeatedly going to the cross and repeatedly trusting in what Christ has done, repeatedly going there. That glorifies God. And sometimes God does not heal us from things so that we continue to rely on him. So I guess I needed that because that, yeah, okay. 
I've done joined the choir at my church now. I've done so many different things to make sure that I'm, and that's my problem. I'm always trying to do it my way. <laughs> I just need to let, I'm saved. I just couldn't get that through my head. I got it now. Thank you so much. I mean, this, I was losing sleep and everything because I've just buried my last brother. All five of my brothers are gone. I just buried him five weeks ago. And I've just been a mess since then. And I said, I'm not doing nothing no more, but I can't stop cussing. <laughs> That's yeah. the only thing well, I'm going know, on as far as I know. I'm yeah, the major thing. Well, you keep working on it and read Colossians chapter 3. Colossians 3, Colossians the first two. 17 verses, okay? okay? But uh, you know, the thing is, you're going to have to work on it, okay? I used to have a very foul mouth, and when I got saved... It was gone just that way. It was just that easy. It was easy for me, but other things weren't. So some things for you were probably easy, and this isn't. So it's the same formula, different variables. So you need to continually trust in Christ, continually work it, and you will eventually improve and have a victory one way or another, okay? Okay. Thank you. You're welcome, brother. God bless. Okay. All right. Now let's get to Levi. Levi, welcome. You are on the air. Hi. Hi. So my question for you is, how does it show in the Bible that Jesus is God? How or where? Like, how and where does it show that Jesus is in the... The how. Does it show that Jesus is God? The how is by how God, the how is how God does it through communication through His prophets and His apostles. That's how. Where you can go to Hebrews one eight, where God the Father is speaking, and He says, "But of the Son, He says, Your throne, O God, is forever and ever." That's a direct declaration by God the Father calling the Son God. Okay, you want more? Okay. Because my. Uh I go to a Christian school, and my teacher asked me that, and we had that for homework, and I was thinking about it recently, and a bunch of the kids in my class were confused by what she meant, because they, they, look like they looked in the Old Testament and the New Testament, but I don't think they were looking for the right chapter of the New Testament. Okay. Well, you, here's the thing about ethics and doing what's right. So you're talking to me on the radio. I'm going to give you some verses. And then you can say, I called a guy on the radio, he gave me these verses, and I found them. Here they are. You check them out. You make sure I'm telling you is, the, is true, because my last name is Slick, so you got to be careful, okay? All right? Yes, sir. Okay, now, so another one you want to go to is John 1, 1 and verse 14. In the beginning was the Word, okay. the Word was God, and the word, uh, the word was with God, and the Word was God, and the Word became flesh. That's where Jesus Christ is called God. Yes, sir. And also Colossians two nine, okay. Colossians two nine. For in him dwells all the fullness of deity in bodily form. Then you can also go to John eight fifty eight. Before Abraham was, I am, and you cross reference that with Exodus three verses fourteen and fifteen, where God Moses said to God, "What's your name?" And God says, "I am that I am." Oh. Okay. So those will do. There's a lot more, but those will those will help you out. Okay. Yes, sir. Thank you. 
<laughs> You're welcome. All right, brother? Anything else? No, sir. How about this? Let me ask you. we got nobody waiting. Let me ask you a question. Why is it that Jesus must be God and man? What's the reason for that? He Why died on the that? cross, and when, and when he said, it is finished, the whole earth shook. Yes, that's what happened, John 19.30. But um, why must Jesus be both God and man? What's the reason? Okay. He was born to a family that was human, but he was also promised by God. Yes. But why does he... Okay, let me ask you this. Do you know how many natures Jesus has? Do you know what that means? He has two no, natures. Sir. Okay. He has two natures. He's both God and man at the same time. He has two natures. We're just human. He's human and God in the one person. That's who Jesus is. Why is it he has to have two natures? Well, it's simple. He has to be human to be under the law, Galatians 4.4, 4, so he could fulfill the law, that's Matthew 5.17 and Matthew 3.15. And he has to be God in order to offer a perfect sacrifice, because only God can do that. So he's man to take care of the sins of people. He's God to an, to offer an infinitely value, valuable sacrifice to God the Father. So it has to be both, God and man. And here's a question for you. We've got a couple of minutes left. Is Jesus a man right now, right this second? Is Jesus a man? What do you think? No. Well, he is. Colossians 2.9 says, For in him dwells, that's present tense, all the fullness of deity in bodily form. Now, when Jesus was walking around in John 2, 19 through 21, he says, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. And he was speaking of the temple of his body. In 1 Corinthians 15, 35 through 45, it talks about the resurrection. That which is sown is the same thing that is raised. Our body is sown, our body is raised. Jesus was crucified. And in John 20, 25 through 28, Jesus said to Thomas, take your hand and put it into my side and take your finger and put it into my hand. This is after his resurrection. He was resurrected in the same body he died in. And Paul wrote to Timothy decades after uh, Jesus was ascended into heaven. And he said, in 1 Timothy 2.5, he says, There's one mediator between man and God, the man, Christ Jesus. He's a man right now. Okay? Forever. Okay. Yes, sir. All right. Sound good? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Thank you. All right, All right man. God bless. Thank you, Mr. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> hey, no problem, man. God bless. Sure. I guess I was a dad. All right. Well, hey, we're out of time. The music's going to start any second. May the Lord bless you. By His grace, we're back on the air tomorrow. And um, if you want to listen to a Bible study I'm teaching tonight online, just go to rumble.com forward slash Matt Slick Bible Study. All one word. 9.30 Eastern time is when we kind of go online. That's because I live here in Idaho. We, we do it. People come over at the house. 
Hey, may the Lord bless you. By His grace, back on here tomorrow. We'll talk to you then. Have a good evening.